Welcome to another episode with the Market Dominance Guys, a program about the innovators, idealists, and the entrepreneurs who thrive and die in the high-stakes world of building a startup company. We explore in the cookbooks, guidebooks, and magic beans needed to grow your business. Is the goal of each member of your sales team to dominate your company's market? Or is their goal to make their sales quotas? According to our Market Dominance Guy, Chris Beal, it should be dominate or die. This week, Chris shares with our podcast audience a selling power webinar he calls How to Achieve Market Dominance, in which he details the steps necessary to do just that, dominate your market. In this first part of a three-part series, Chris defines the terms market and addressable market, and then goes on to explain precisely what information you need to obtain from your addressable market prospects when you have a conversation with them. Using a clear and organized approach, Chris will lead you to an understanding of this week's Market Dominance Guy's topic, What Do You Do With an Addressable Market? As usual, you'll walk away from this how-to guide with insights and strategies to help your company on its way to dominating its market. Hi, my name is Gerhard Schwartner. I'm the founder and publisher of Selling Power Magazine. I want to welcome you to our webinar. With me is Chris Beal, who's the CEO of Connect and Sell. Hi, Chris. Hey. Hi, Gerhard. It's great to be with you back from Italy. Well, I'm glad you took some time off and recharged and feel like a Renaissance man, right? I fired up to broaden my scope of understanding and appreciation. And you have a fresh perspective on how to achieve market dominance. And before we dive in, Chris, can we do a quick poll with the audience? I want to welcome everybody to think about when you want to ask a question, type them in. We're going to pick them up on the fly. We also have about 10 minutes at the end for Q&A. So let's show the audience poll in the beginning. Who on your team is responsible for creating and maintaining prospecting target lists? Is it marketing? Is it sales development reps, sales leadership, or a research team? So think about those four questions and check the box. Chris and I will look at the results and share them with you. Um, so right now, I'm, I'm seeing this in real time. Marketing and sales development reps are in the lead. Sales leadership is third, and the research team does not exist at this point. Aww. Does not doesn't have a showing. Well, that no. horse didn't even show up for the race. <laughs> didn't that horse didn't come? <laughs> didn't come in. It's, it's um, still if this were the race in Siena, the horse is still in the church being blessed. <laughs> so is it true that they're right horse in the middle of the small towns? In that one in Siena, they have a horse race with ten horses each year right in the square in town they bring in dirt and put mattresses up to keep people from dying and they ride bareback amazing yeah so the leading horse is marketing the second horse is sales development reps and sales leadership and there's no research team among our audience today what do you make of that well it's interesting it actually speaks to the heart of what i want to talk about today but it depends on how you think of the purpose of sales in the business and there's a major change came about because of software as a service, primarily software eating the world, as they say, 
in which the role of sales, the old role of sales was really to dispose of inventory at a gross profit in order to keep the lights on at the factory and and maybe generate some net profit, which you could use to expand the business. So this is what we called, I believe the term for it is capitalism. And the idea is that you put capital to work. Most people think of that as money, but capital is actually plant and equipment and stuff like that. And you produce stuff, you know, you make things. And when you make things, of course, you've got to get rid of them. And so sales job was to get rid of the things you made and turn them back into dollars so that you could pay to do stuff. The role of sales actually is fundamentally changed in the economy, and most people don't recognize it. And that's really the the why behind this entire webinar. It's the why behind my podcast. It's called Market Dominance Guys. We're on episode 104, 105, or something like that. So apparently either we're crazy or people are interested in this new role of sales, which is to dominate markets. It doesn't seem like that's connected to making prospecting lists, right? Why would they even be connected? Who really cares? Isn't a market just like, oh, we're going to go and do something, you know, we're going to be the leader of, and then a bunch of pretty words. And if we take it down one level, we say, well, that's for companies. We're going to sell the companies in this vertical, and we're going to sell a solution to this problem. And that's our market as those companies you know, that want that solution. And I want to talk about market dominance with regard to the role of sales in actually doing the most important thing we do in business. So this is really for salespeople and sales leaders. This is a, a bit of a, an attempt at a wake up call, which is you're being called to a new mission, which is to dominate markets, not just make quota. So sales tends to think of itself as, hey, I got my territory, whatever it is, and my job is to make this quota number happen within the territory by hook or by crook. However I do it, that's that's good. If I make the number, it's good. If I beat the number, it's great. If I beat it by too much, that's bad because then they're gonna know that I was sandbagging and they're gonna raise the number by a lot, right? So there's a whole game that's played around making the number. And from a CEO's perspective, from my perspective, I can act like I care that my reps make the number, but what I really care about is for our defined target market, are we on our way to becoming the dominant player? Because the dominant player gets disproportionate awards, rewards. How, how disproportionate? Roughly 10 to 20x. So if you want 10 to 20 times the valuation, be Salesforce, don't be Zoho. Right, because as Salesforce, you get this huge multiple part of what for valuation that is the value as a multiple of your revenue or multiple of your profits, whatever, however you want to look at it. You get this big, big multiple because the world, the stock market, everybody looks at you and goes, Ooh, dominant players have lots of options in the future, including dominating other markets. And the flip is if you're not dominating at least one market, you're on your way to being put out of business at the leisure of the dominant player in that market because they can play games you can't play. They can reduce their price if they want to. They can be more aggressive with regard to the extra services they offer. They can do all sorts of things that you can't do as the number two, three, four, five player. So this guy named Jeffrey Moore, and I don't know whether everybody on this, you know, watching this, a webinar today has read Crossing the Chasm. If you have not read Crossing the Chasm, it was published in 1991. So you are 100% confident that like guys like Gerhard and me, 
who were actually also in business in 1991 and in 1981, in fact, I would suspect, uh, you would think that's obsolete, just like Gerhard and Chris, right? Those guys are obsolete. Surely a book published in 1991 is obsolete. Trust me, it's still the Bible. When it comes to taking new things to market, innovations to market, he calls them technology, but anything new to market that's that bothers people, you, you got to go read that book and understand it. Because what it basically says is you're either going to cross the chasm to being sold primarily by reference from company to company to company to solve a broken mission critical business process that they have. And they hold their nose against the stench of buying something that's in a new category or whatever in order to solve this problem. But then once it starts to prove itself in a market, then it it moves. It's actually kind of about virality at the company level where things you know, move virally. And so then the question is, well, what is a market? And Jeffrey Moore, the guy who wrote Crossing the Chasm, he was one of my venture capitalists at one time many, many years ago. And I had the luxury of getting to occasionally sit with him. And once we were on a plane going somewhere and I said, so, Jeff, what do all of us get wrong that drives you crazy where you just roll your eyes and go, you idiots, can you never learn? And he said, oh, that's simple, Chris. He said, you guys always think that a market is a pretty description of something whereas a market is always a list. And it's a list of companies such that every company on that list has this quality. If they buy, it reduces your cost and risk of selling to every other company on that list without exception. So a market is naturally bounded by when that list doesn't work anymore for referencing other customers. And he says it tends to be an industry but it's a sub, it's maybe a geography and industry or whatever it is. As a result, markets tend to be smaller than we think. And venture capitalists encourage us to describe total addressable markets as fantasies. Everybody, like I could do this with Connect and Sell. Well, everybody needs to talk to 10 times more people. So all the salespeople in the world are our addressable market. But in fact, at Connect and Sell, this is our own company, we have exactly two markets. And there are two lists. One is a list of large companies with strategic challenges that they need to address by talking to a lot more people. So they, they have a go-to-market problem and they're hard to find, but that's it. We, have, and we make a list of them. And the other is funded startups because they all have the same problem in, in B2B, B2B funded startups. Those are our two markets and we just make a list, one and the other. And that's it. We'll be back in a moment after a quick break. Connect and Sell, welcome to the end of dialing as you know it. Give your fingers a rest with Connect and Sell's patented technology. You'll load your best sales folks up with eight to 10 times more live qualified conversations every day. And when we say qualified, we're talking about really qualified, like knowing how many tears they shed while watching the end of Toy Story, kind of qualified. And we're back. And so we're a little ambitious. We're going to go try to dominate two markets. I, I know that's a little crazy, but they're lists. And so the biggest problem with market dominance fundamentally 
is that, well, well, one, most people don't know they need to do it. They don't know what's important. They don't know what's achievable. They're just out to make a number and hope they don't get fired. And what is the average tenure of a VP of sales at the point where they're dismissed nowadays? 17 months. I think you told me something like that. So yeah. that's one goal. But the, cor- the, the company's goal nowadays is not to ship widgets. They have infinite inventory. Everybody is selling software like products has infinite inventory. Manufacture software by doing nothing. You make the next, there are no copies, right? It's in the cloud. So how do you use that ability to service without having to make another widget? How do you do that and dominate markets so you don't have the dominant player basically decide whether your business is going to succeed or not? That's what it's about. Sorry for interrupting. Um, Are you saying, in effect, that if you are not achieving marketing dominance, there are actually two reasons why. One is that your list is not long enough, and two, that your calls are not frequent enough. I would put it another way. One is your list is not short enough. Okay. And and the reason is this. It's really easy to dominate a market of one, right? You make a list of one, you go sell to them. And why is that a market? Because everybody in that market is more likely to buy from you because they bought from you, right? And so one company is more likely to buy from you in the future because they bought from you in the present. So a small list is easy, but maybe not important enough. So your list should be sized thus such that when you successfully dominate that market, you'll be operating profitably as a business. That's actually how you back into the size of the list. So if the list needs to be a little bigger because your unit price is small, then you have to make it a little bigger, but it's hard to make coherent lists that are bigger because the bigger they are, the less likely it is to be a market the more likely it is to be a fantasy. So this is the tricky part about lists, and this is precisely why I opened with this poll. So so people who say marketing makes the list, it's not bad. Marketing's job could well be to define the market, right? That could well be. It could also be that the senior executives of the company have thought this through, (laughs) they have a strategy, and they have a research team that makes the list. Because maybe it takes a little bit more than just going out and asking people to come and register on the website or do whatever it is they do. Maybe you're, you, know, you have a real market. So the research team could have to dig in order to find the right companies and the right people to talk to. The folks who should never make the list, if you want to dominate markets, are sales reps. Because sales reps are going to make the list for the purpose of making a number. And making a number is not a step along the way to market dominance. It's coincidental. It could help. You know, it's not It's better than nothing. But you're basically turning over your strategy, your corporate strategy. The reason that you have investment in the company, however you got that investment, that reason has been turned over to sales reps and even worse to sales development reps who are often relatively young, relatively inexperienced in business and have no background nor motivation that would cause them to make a true market list, they're more likely to make a list of people they think they can get a hold of or that might buy. So market dominance, it's it's dominate or die. That's the nature of the business nowadays. We see disruption happen right, left, and center. Everybody can be disrupted. It costs nothing to make new software products. 
I can name, if I, if I just started thinking, I could probably name 200 companies that were relevant five years ago and are dead now because they didn't dominate a market. So it's about making something, a list of companies that if one buys, the other will buy, and then finding out what they really, really need. That's product market fit, not product fantasy fit. So I've answered this question, what is an addressable market? And it comes down to this, an addressable market is a market. It's a list of companies. Within that list of companies, you have to say, I want them. They're coherent. I believe each one I sell to is going to make it cheaper and lower risk to sell to all the others. Now, how do I know it's addressable? Well, I, I, I got to go talk to them. Let's face it. If I don't talk to them, I actually don't know if I could even do business with them. It's kind of an old-fashioned notion. But in order to determine whether my market is an addressable market, that is, I can actually successfully sell to them, I have to have a product they want or an offering that they want. I need to talk to them to find out if the offering is interesting. Fortunately, that is easy. Everybody thinks this is hard, but it's easy. So all you have to do is talk to a reasonable subset of the market. How many? Roughly speaking, and I apologize for the math, but roughly speaking, you need to have conversations with the right kind of people at about the square root of the number of folks in the market. So say you, your market is 100 companies. That's your first market you want to dominate. You need to go have 10 conversations at random with folks. And the conversations need to explore this question. First, will you take a meeting with me to learn more about this? It's very objective. If somebody will take a meeting with you to learn more about the problem that you claim you solve and how you might solve it, that's a positive indication that you might have an addressable market. It's very objective. This isn't like, did they, did they sound like they liked me? It's not that at all. It's like, I got to have meetings. At those meetings, I need to explore with them whether there's resonance around one of three things. That is, is the problem that they have and my proposed solution that problem, does that resonate with them either economically? That is, does it address a time, risk, or money issue that they care enough about to change their ways and actually adopt this thing? Emotionally, and generally, this is the big driver. So does it address usually a question of frustration? So almost everybody is frustrated. Business leaders are always like this. Even Satya Nadella, who runs, runs Microsoft. I would bet if at the end of each day you said, so Satya, is anything bothering you about the business? And he'd go, oh, man, I'm frustrated that. And then he would name something. I, and what is it? It's always the same, that they don't have the time, the resources, or the support. And I can assure you as a CEO, you need the support of your people more than anything to do their job as well as they hold themselves accountable for, as well as they hold themselves accountable for. So everybody's frustrated. So addressing frustration is the, the most common emotion that you can address. And that's important because folks won't buy without an emotional trigger, emotional spur. And then the other thing is what we call strategy. And what do I mean by strategy? I mean, everybody's trying to go somewhere. They're trying to take their business somewhere. They're trying to get from where they are to where they want to go. That's a strategy. A strategy is a list of steps that you believe will get you closer to your goal. And each step has the fun quality that if you achieve it, it makes the next step cheaper and lower risk. Right? That's the definition of a strategy. I, I don't know if everybody knows that, but that's what a strategy is. It's a list. Isn't it amazing that a market is a list and a strategy is a list? 
holy moly, we got lists everywhere, right? So a strategy is a list of steps and the, the, the definition of a step in a strategy is, this is why it's different from a tactic. The strategy is, if I get here, I increase the probability and lower the cost of getting here, which increases the probability and lowers the cost of getting here and so forth and so on, and my goals over there. Well, everybody is blocked at some point in their strategy. So if your offering can help unblock them, you're solving a strategy problem for them. Does your description of what you do resonate with them sufficiently that they will take a concrete next step? Now you're determining if your market's addressable because you are interacting with the folks in the market enough to get that feedback. Two things could happen. One, fantastic, we guessed right, right? We guessed right, we built the product right, it was for the right purpose, it's resonating like crazy on this emotional thing or whatever it is. And the people we talk to when we have meetings with them, 30% want to go to a next concrete step of doing something. By the way, meeting again is not a next concrete step. Just for all you salespeople out there who think having another meeting and another meeting and another meeting and another meeting is making progress towards something, it's not the case. You actually have to take a step where the other party makes an investment of something more than I showed up at a meeting. So make them do something. At our company, what we do is we make them do something we call an intensive test drive. They bring people to an experience that's expensive, right? They don't have to pay us money, but they got to pay us by bringing the people and bringing the list and having the executive attention and spending two hours actually using our product and going out and setting meetings and talking to a bunch of people. Well, and that's that's your flight school. That, well, that's a test drive. And then flight school is something we would sell them afterwards say, oh, you suck, right? Isn't it great? We did the test drive. Now we determined that there's room for improvement. We don't say you suck. There's room for improvement. So now you could choose to avail yourself of a next concrete step, which is this flight school thing. And then after that, you might want to go to this next step, which is a production deployment of some kind that has an integration to your CRM or whatever. Now it's concrete, concrete, concrete. But the real issue that we have in in markets is even knowing this market is addressable. Is this list any good? So thing number one is the dogs love the dog food. <laughs> thing number two is our product doesn't quite resonate. And we start to have confirmation bias and take the lack of concrete next steps as a symptom of something else. It's almost always a symptom of they're not going crazy for your stuff, right? And you can tune the message. And once the message resonates, then you can go back and tune the product. By the way, that's the right order in which to do it. Don't run back and fix the product and keep showing people products. That's expensive. Just tune the message. And when the message finally resonates and they want to take a next step, then go fix the product. Today's show is also brought to you by UncommonPro.com. Selling a big idea to a skeptical customer or investor is one of the hardest jobs in business. So when it's really time to go big, you need an uncommon methodology to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. Through a modern and innovative sales and scripting tool set, we offer a guiding hand to ambitious leaders in their quest to reach market dominance. It's time to get uncommon with UncommonPro.com. Never miss an episode. Go to any of your favorite podcast venues and search for Market Dominance Guys or go to marketdominanceguys.com and subscribe.